The pursuit of joy is a universal human endeavor. All of us want a life of happiness and contentment, but the circumstances of life seem to undermine that pursuit at every turn. Philippians is a letter written by a man named Paul from a jail cell in Rome, and though his circumstances are grim, he writes of a joy found not in our where we are, but rather in who we are and who we know. For in Jesus, there is always reason to rejoice. For our sermon this morning, uh, we are continuing on in the book of Philippians. If you were here last week, you know that we introduced this book. Uh, We are going to preach through the book of Philippians, sort of through the fall and a little bit into the new year. Um, The book of Philippians is actually a letter. Uh, last week we talked about, it's, it's a letter. A lot of the books uh, in, the, in the Bible are letters, especially the New Testament. Um, in fact, if you have a Bible, now's a great time to turn to Philippians. Uh, if you don't have one yet, you can grab one from the back, uh, just on the tables as you come in. And Philippians is right near the end. And it's a letter from Paul, who is a church planter and missionary, to a group of Christians uh, from a church he planted in the city of Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. Uh, the neat thing about Uh, these letters, or any letter, is that it really gives you a window into the relationship between the people who are corresponding. So in this case, it's Paul writing to a group of people he knew from Philippi. They're still there. And when we read his words, we're uh, going to learn a bit about their relationship. That's always the way it is with letters. Well, at least personal letters. Business letters, form letters, not so much. But personal letters, you get to know a bit about the people. Uh, You get to know a bit about the relationship that's there, the connection. Uh, For example, uh, there was a period of time when my wife Dawn and I, we uh, were exchanging letters. This was early on in our relationship, and she had uh, gone to Austria for Bible school, and so we were apart. I should should maybe clarify, we 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 didn't actually have a relationship yet at that point. I I was hoping that we would have a relationship, Um, and so I thought that as we exchanged letters, there was no email back then, um, that we would get a chance to really open up. Right, share kind of you know our souls a bit, and really, by the, I thought by the time she gets back, man, we're going to be so close, you know, because distance makes. The, I can't remember the expression anyway. Um, <laughs> but I was a bit surprised. I thought, to be honest, I thought it went really well. I thought I, my letters, you know, I was like really thinking, searching for a little bit of humor, a little bit about myself, telling her some of my struggles, and she was writing back, which was a good sign. Um, but when she returned, I was a bit shocked because on our very first time we kind of got together. She said, you know, uh, Matt, I, I just really love being friends with you. And I was like, mm, that's not what I was hoping for. Uh, so we were friends for a while. It, it changed later. We're married now. But, um, but as I, I found some of these letters that we had written to each other. And as I look back, I realized that I had kind of, um, I think my enthusiasm for the possibility of a relationship, I'd read something into them that wasn't there. Because when I look at the letters now, I, I realize that there are some things that I thought were clear indications of her feelings for me, but maybe weren't so much. Like, like she would sign, when she would write the letter I, she would put hearts above the I. And I kind of thought that meant she had, you know, real affection for me, but it turns out it, it doesn't. It's just she liked hearts. Also, <laughs> at the end of the letter, uh, she, would write, she would write, love ya, and which I kind of thought, man, that's, but love ya is different than I love you because it was YA. It was like, I love you as a friend and nothing more. So that, see, the thing, if I had actually had a clear mind and I'd read these letters, I probably would have been able to figure out Don's feelings for me at the time, which were just friends, and that's fine. Things change. Um, in this letter, we, we get the same thing. We're going to see that Paul, 
unlike Don, has a real affection and love for the Philippians. Sounds horrible. We're, everything's good now. It's just, it took a while. Um, so what we're going to see is that he really, really loves the people that he, because he, he has a connection with them. We're going we're gonna to see here that there are some deep bonds of fellowship that grew between Paul and these Philippians. And not only are we going to get a window into their relationship, uh, through these, these words, um, God reveals to us the nature of genuine fellowship. What it really means to be close to someone, especially if there are two uh, believers, two people who are Christians in, in close relationship. What, what does that look like? What is that based on? And also, he's going to explain to us how it is that God wants us to grow. What is it in, in our fellowship as, as a church, as believers, and then also in our own faith? How is it that God wants us to flourish? What's his, his plan and his promise for that? So I think for those of you here who are believers, this will be helpful. It'll be a bit of, again, a window into the, the dynamics of the church. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, maybe you're invited or just checking things out, I think also it'll be helpful because it'll give you a window again into what the relationships should be like between Christians and what it is that God has promised to us as believers. How exactly that, that um, a decision of faith happens and then how we grow in faith. So with all that in mind, I'm going to read uh, Philippians 1. We're in verses 3 to 11. Again, this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's God's words for us this morning. Uh, let's pause for a moment of prayer. Lord God, thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that here we have, uh, we have truth that is for us uh, in this very day. And God, I pray for, for all of us, Lord, that you would give us open minds, open hearts, to hear and understand uh, what you have to say and I pray, God, that you would give me, um, you would allow me to speak words of truth in spite of myself and my sin. And we thank you, God, that you are with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've just entitled this message, uh, Fellowship and Flourishing, uh, because these, I think, are the two main things that we see here in the text. What it means to have true fellowship uh, as a Christian community, as a church community, and also what it means for us to flourish and grow in our faith. So we'll begin with uh, fellowship, true fellowship. I'm pretty sure that's a term that we don't use a lot anymore. Um, there, sometimes we hear it. I remember uh, the first church that I was a part of, we had uh, the fellowship hall, which was the gym. And so at first I was really confused about what it meant to fellowship, that it involved basketball. I didn't know what that meant. Turns out uh, that they were just thinking that there'd be relationships that would grow there as you played basketball and ate at banquets. And that, I think that probably happened. But the true fellowship, though, is, is different than just uh, casual friendships, even, even deep friendships. Fellowship is something that is much, much deeper. The connection is stronger. Uh, I'm going to say true fellowship comes from a deep connection between people. And, and for Christians, 
Christian fellowship is also rooted in our relationship with God. We see this in uh, another letter. This is written uh, by another church leader, John, and he's talking to a group of believers about, about this idea of Christian fellowship. Here's what he says. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So what he's saying is, uh, when you come to faith, um, your, your relationships uh, from a human point of view are very much influenced by your relationship with God. And as you grow in faith with Christ, you're going to grow in relationship. You have a common bond. And more than that, God is actually working things out so that you grow closer together. And we see, that, um, we see these, this kind of joy that was mentioned in John. We see it ringing in the words of Paul also. I mean, his, his words to the Philippians are very, very strong. A very deep affection he has. I'm going to just put them up there and read the three verses in particular where he mentions how he feels about uh, these Christians in Philippi. He says in verse 3 and 4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. And verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. And verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Those are some pretty strong words. I mean, that last one, that's almost like a wedding vow. He's taking an oath before God. As God is my witness, I love you as much as Jesus Christ loves you. Man, that's, that's a very, I mean, we don't often talk that way. We'd be like, hey man, it's great. I really like this time we had watching TV. This is great. We don't, we don't talk like that. I'm not sure we even, we even feel like that. So we might be wondering, how did, how did they get so close? Like, did did they just really hit it off of all the churches that Paul had planted? This one, they just, they liked the same stuff, they were into the same things, and they just really kind of grew close together? It's not the case. In fact, they were very, very different. Paul was from a Jewish background. All of the uh, Christians in, in Philippi, they were Gentiles. When he came there, there would have been very little for them. They wouldn't have had coffee together. Uh, they, they wouldn't have really had uh, common spheres of, of life at all. There's something deeper and greater that's going on here. The answer to how they can be so close is that they had been on mission together. They'd been actively engaged in, in the planting and growing of the church. Uh, look at verses five and seven. You see Paul mentioned this. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So there were people there that he was writing to that had been there right at the beginning when the church was planted and they were partners with him for the gospel. Verse seven, he says, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, in case you don't know the story, uh, the planting of the church in Philippi, it, it was not smooth sailing. It's, it started off pretty well. Uh, in the book of Acts, we hear the story. Paul and Silas went there. They were called by God and they started to share the gospel and people came to faith almost right away. It was great. Paul must have been really, really encouraged. Um, but it wasn't long before there was opposition. And in particular, there was opposition because there was uh, a slave girl in the town of Philippi. And she had an evil spirit in her uh, that allowed her to uh, tell fortunes. And Paul cast out that evil spirit. And this was a problem because the owners of that slave girl, that's how they would make their money. And so here's what happened. I'm going to read uh, just a passage from, from Acts. You'll see it up there as well. It says, but when her owners, the slave girl, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. 
They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. If you know Paul, you read this and you think, well, that's what happens to Paul all the time. Because that is what happens. Wherever he goes, he gets beaten up, he gets thrown in jail. And so sometimes we gloss over this. We're like, well, yeah, that's because it's tough. And that, but that was okay. In fact, in this particular story, it actually ends well because that jailer, he comes to faith. He gets a chance, Paul shares with him. It's an amazing story. So we kind of gloss over the part where they beat him with rods. At that moment in jail, he would have been bleeding. His teeth would have been knocked loose. He would have been aching and sore. And imagine for the new church in Philippi what they would have thought. Imagine just coming to faith and then seeing this happen. It would have been scared, probably discouraged. What do we do now? The guy who planted the church is in jail. What's going to happen to us? There were many, many trials and difficulties. But the truth is that it's in those trials that a real unity began to develop. Isn't it always the case that when you're involved in something difficult, but something worthwhile, that the people you're with, you really, you really grow in fellowship with them, right? This isn't just true uh, in the church. The world over, in all human experience, when there is a mission and, and, it's, and it's important and the stakes are high, the bonds that you develop with people are, are amazing. Uh, I came across uh, a story told by a British Navy chaplain. His name was Broughton Knox. He was on one of the boats that was heading across the channel on D-Day. So he's there with, with a ship full of sailors, and he reflects on the atmosphere of the ship. They're heading into a war zone, and he says that everyone on board was in good spirits. They were all united in their purpose of making sure that this, this task, this mission would come to success. In fact, he says, these are his words, he says, I remember noting in my mind how I had never been happier. Isn't that amazing? Heading, heading into, they, I mean, they know what's coming. But everyone on the ship, they were, they were totally, they were glad to be there. They were totally focused in their common purpose. Now, conversely, interestingly also, he talks about the trip back. After the, the months, the invasion, and he's coming back on the ship with many of the same men. And everyone noticed that there was a bit of a difference. It was still friendly. Things had gone well. There was still, you know, a good atmosphere. But it wasn't the same. And a lot of the sailors came to talk to him, kind of ask him, like, why does it feel different? And here's what he says. He says, the answer was quite simple. During those months that preceded and followed D-Day, our thoughts had a minimum of self-centeredness in them. We gave ourselves to our shared activities and objective. Once the undertaking was over, we reverted to our own purposes we do normally. I think that makes sense, right? When you're united, when you're focused and there's something going on, man, you're totally, you're able to give of yourself in a way that we normally don't. But the interesting comment I saw from one of the, uh, the guys about this story and about this idea of fellowship, he says this, uh, Kent Hughes, he says, look, human friendship is a wonderful thing, but fellowship goes beyond friendship. Fellowship occurs among friends committed to a common cause or goal and flourishes through the common pursuit of it. That's what was happening in that amazing moment when the allied forces came in, they were united against a clear and present evil. They knew what the stakes were. They knew that they had to go in there. I think it's tough for us to imagine that kind of world. 
Maybe for some of us, we're old enough, we remember that. But for many of us, it's very, very difficult to imagine a world where the battle lines are clearly drawn, where we know what's at stake. We know the evil that's there and that we're battling not just for human freedom, but for the freedom of entire nations. And yet what we see here in the Bible, the reminder from Paul is that there's actually a greater mission that continues to be fought day in and day out. And it's not one that that we see, but it's one that we know. It's a mission that that God has begun. He had planned before the foundations of the world, before humanity even fell into sin. And it's a mission that Jesus truly began when he came to earth. God, the Son, come in human flesh and lived in our place. And it's a mission that was actually accomplished by Jesus when he went to the cross, when he took our place and died for our sins and then rose three days later. He was gaining victory over the evil in the world, over Satan, over sin, over death. So this is the mission of the gospel. This is the mission that that Paul is talking to the Philippians saying, you were partners with me in this. The stakes could not have been higher. We were there, we were sharing the gospel because we knew that everywhere in that town of Philippi, there were many people who were worshiping gods that were not real, that couldn't bring the joy and hope that they need. And the truth of the matter is that it's the same for us. We also have, have a message to share to people all around us, like ourselves, who are hoping in good things, but not great things, not ultimate things. And so the fellowship that we see between Paul and the Philippians is a fellowship that is ours to have as well. I'm going to say it this way simply. True fellowship comes through gospel work. They were partners in the gospel. They were partakers in the, of the grace of God. In fact, uh, the way it would work is that these letters that Paul wrote, uh, they would be read aloud to the church. So that means as these words are being read, that, that, that Paul's saying, you know, you were partners with me, there were people there listening that were saying, yeah, I remember that. I remember when so-and-so came to faith. The jailer that had jailed Paul was probably there also and was remembering this. There was a deep affection that they had as well because the gospel, the work of the gospel began in them and went out and through them into their community. There would have been other people that we, we don't know their names that they would have shared their faith with, that would have been part of the church, would now know the hope of Christ because of their efforts in the gospel. And so in all of this, we see a beautiful partnership, a fellowship, and yet a common purpose. The reason that the bond is so deep is because uh, the purpose is so great. And in spite of the trials, in spite of the difficulty, they went through it together. And the truth of the matter is that we have the same opportunity. If you're here this morning and you've been around for a bit and you're thinking, I think, I think Tri-City, I think that's where I'm going to land, uh, then this is what we have. God is calling us also to this, this mission of gospel proclamation, that we get to go out into our area, into our city, and we have the opportunity to share the love of God with others. And it will also be difficult. It will also be, there'll be trials there. But as a united people, we will grow in fellowship. This is true of every faithful church because the stakes are so high, because we are actually bringing light and hope into a world that is in darkness, the stakes are incredibly high. So what do we do with this? What does this look like? Well, it looks like what we're doing. It looks like that we're inviting people, perhaps. We're looking for opportunities to pray for people. We're thinking of that person down the block. We're saying, man, I'd I'd really love to share with you the, the hope that I have. In all of that, we are partakers of grace. We are participants in this gospel proclamation. The question, though, is, will we be able to endure? Right now, we're at the beginning stages. 
And it's often at the beginning, it's, it's you know, slap happy. Everyone's excited. We had a barbecue. That's, that's fun. We had bouncy castles. I mean, that's really, man, that's how, that's what a church is all about. We need some more bouncy castles. But that's the beginning. And the beginning is great. And we're thankful for all that God has done. But the road ahead, it's going to be long. And so we need to be asking ourselves, what kind of confidence do we have that we are going to be able to endure as individuals and as a church? And the answer is that we can have great confidence. We, we see again here in our text that Paul has great confidence for the Philippians, not just that God is committed to the mission, but also that God is committed to their flourishing as individuals. So we've seen true fellowship comes through gospel work. We're also going to see that true flourishing True growth in our faith comes through Jesus Christ. So Paul, he's not just thankful for the Philippians. He's not just affectionate towards them. It's not just kind of that kind of a letter. He really wants something for them. He's, he's confident that they are going to grow in their faith. It's not wishful thinking. He's not saying, boy, I really, I'm sorry I'm not there. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope, I hope you're going to grow. He says, I am very, very confident. He's encouraging to them. And this should be encouraging to us because he recognizes that there's challenges for the Philippian church when he's away. There's challenges for everyone who follows the Lord. And that's true for us as well. There are some days, if, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know there are some days when, man, it's just, it just feels great. You wake up in the morning, praise God for the sun or the rain, whatever it is. You crack open your Bible, you're up at 5.30, you just can't wait to get at it. You're in prayer, you're in traffic all the way to work and just singing God's praises because you have a vehicle and all sorts of things. You just can't stop praising God. It's, it's amazing, it's fantastic. But there are other days when it is not like that at all. When it just feels very, very difficult to believe that God is at work. Very, very difficult to believe that, that all the things that God says he will do in your life, that he's actually doing them. You feel far from God. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's the circumstances of life. Maybe it's just what you know, situation you're in. Maybe it's just the disposition, disposition of your heart, but it's a real challenge to open the Bible. It's really difficult. It doesn't even feel like it's, it's worthwhile to pray, like anyone's even listening. See, Paul anticipates this in the lives of the Philippians. And inspired by the word of God, he writes a sentence of such God-glorifying truth that he brings encouragement not just to them, but to every Christian for all time. Basically, what he says is this. What, what God begins, he will finish. He says it better. Here's what he says. Verse 6. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He, that is God. Paul is saying, if you, if you believe, that's because God began a good work in you, a saving work. And what God begins, he will finish. He will bring that faith of yours to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's when we see Jesus face to face. Paul is saying, God has not forgotten you. Whatever you may feel, whatever is going on in your life, whether you're high or low, God has not forgotten you. In fact, I am confident because what God begins, he finishes. He won't leave you. He won't abandon you. Even if it feels very, very difficult today, the truth is that God will carry you through. He means this to be a very big encouragement to the Philippians. And I hope it is to us, but it is, it is important that we understand what exactly is being said here. Because this truth, this, uh, this doctrine, that, that it's God who begins our faith, our salvation, and then carries us through, there very often, uh, sometimes you have questions about this. Because the experience of coming to faith is one where we might say, you know, Matt, um, 
I, I see what you're saying. I see that there, but I, didn't I believe? Didn't I come to faith? Didn't I make a decision? And if you were coming and talking to me about this, we would have a bit of a dialogue. So we're going to have a bit of a dialogue, but I get to play both parts because I am the preacher. Okay, so here's, what's gonna, here, here's what you might say. You might say, Matt, I have questions about this. And I would say to you, look, what, what role did you play in your salvation, in coming to faith? And you might say, well, I, um, I heard the gospel. Someone, someone shared with me about Jesus. I, I started gathering with the church. I, I got a Bible. I started reading a bit. I had a lot of questions. I was wondering if this is true. And I was reading and people were praying for me. I asked questions. They answered it. But at a certain point, I said, you know what? I think, I think this is true. I believe. And so I, I believed and I came to faith. And now I'm, I'm a Christian. And I would say, praise God. Praise God. That's, that's fantastic. So the beginning of your Christian life, of your faith, was when you believed. You'd say, yes. I'd say, that, that's great. That, that's very true. Everything you described, of course. We all come that way. We, we decide. We believe. But what I would add is I would say, could it be that you are only seeing that event and that process from one point of view? Could it be that you're seeing it from your perspective and that from a more objective perspective, you would see things a little bit differently? And you would say, well, what do you mean? Let me tell you a story. Illustration. Imagine that there is a young girl. She's five years old. Uh, it's dinner time. Family's just finished dinner. And she comes through out of the kitchen carrying a plate of cookies. She's very excited. She says, I baked cookies for dessert. Chocolate chip cookies. Everyone's very excited. Everyone's grabbing the cookies, except for her brother, who's seven, and who's mean. And he says, you didn't bake those cookies. And she says, yes, I did. I baked these cookies. He said, no, you didn't bake those cookies. Mom baked those cookies. And they start fighting, and they get sent to the rooms. No one gets cookies. That's not the point. The point is... That's what happens in our household. Um, <laughs> the point is this. Um, why was the girl so offended about her brother saying, you didn't make the cookies? The answer is that the little girl, she really felt like she had baked those cookies. In fact, she had participated in some of the baking activities. She had stirred some stuff and put some dough on the tray. But from a more objective perspective, I think we would all say, if it's a five-year-old and there's an adult in the kitchen, it's, it's the mom or the dad who's baking the cookies. So if mom's there, mom has the money to buy ingredients. Mom has a car she can drive to go to the store to get the ingredients. Mom is there making sure the measurements are correct. Mom's putting the oven on, the right temperature, making sure the timing's all right. It's the determining factor is the mom. Yes, the girl was there. She was participating. She was part of it but it was the mom who made sure that there was cookies made and not just a big mess in the kitchen. Now, imagine that you talk to this girl later on. She's in her late teens. And you say to her, hey, remember when uh, you would bake with your mom? Listen, you got to level with me. Who, who is baking the cookies? Do you think she'd say, I'm tired of talking about this. I baked those cookies, and she would get all bent out of shape again? <laughs> Probably not. Probably what she would say is, you know what? Yeah, of course it was my mom baking the cookies. But let me tell you, I... I just loved being there. I loved being a part of it. I'm so thankful that I got to be part of that. And that's what Paul is saying. Do we make a decision for faith? Absolutely. Is God, is it up to God ultimately? Yes. Yes, and this is good news for us. God is the determining factor. He is the one who brings the power of God into our life. The, the new birth in our heart so that we can believe. And this is 
all over the Bible. I'm going to give you a couple of verses just so you can see um, this in a different perspective. Here it is theologically. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And here it is uh, experientially. This is actually uh, the story of Lydia, who is the first convert in the church in Philippi. It says this, um, And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So she was there, she was listening, and God supernaturally opened her heart so that she came to faith. Was she listening? Was she thinking? Was she deciding? Yes, but it's God who opened her heart. It's God who does the supernatural determining work of bringing someone to faith. And that's very good news because it means what God begins, he will also finish. It means that even when we are in times of great trial, even times of great doubt, opposition, failure, God will never abandon us. I think sometimes that's our fear. We've started this journey of faith. We've had some really high points. It's been great. It's been exciting. But now we're in something, and it just seems like God isn't there. And we're wondering, what are we supposed to do with this? I don't, I don't feel any um, excitement anymore. There's some things happening I've been praying about. They aren't changing. God, have you forgotten me? Have you abandoned me? Are you like the many other people in my life, perhaps, who have said they will be there through thick and thin, and then, and then they weren't? What we see in Scripture is that, that God is steadfast. He does not abandon his people. In fact, even those who turn their backs on him and try to run away, as soon as they take a glimpse back, he's right there with his arms open wide, ready to forgive, and he's working in our hearts. He is drawing us back to himself. This is the encouragement that Paul has for the Philippians. He's saying, I'm sure what God has begun, he will bring to completion. So find hope in that. Find hope in God himself because it's by his power that this all began and it's by his power that it will continue. It'll come to completion. So that's maybe the next question. What, is, what does that look like then? How is it that God brings uh, our faith to completion? Well, again, it's by his power that we grow in maturity and in faith. Uh, the last part of our text is really Paul's desire for the Philippians. He's saying, I know what God started, he's going to finish, and here's my prayer. Here's what I pray that God is doing. And so, here are his words. He says, uh, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's what it means to flourish in our faith to grow in every good way, all of those things. Paul is saying, these are the things that God wants to see you grow in because they're good for you and they're a blessing to other people. Love and, and knowledge, discernment, a purity, all these good things. This is what it means for God to not only begin something, but to grow it, to see it come to completion. But you may look at that list. There, there are a lot of examples, lists like this, especially in the New Testament. And sometimes we look at it and we say, man, I don't know. This week, I, I don't see any of that. I think I got less loving this week, if I'm honest about it. How, do, how is this actually true, Matt? That this, that this would happen, that there's this supposed growth. I think the word, I picked the word flourishing because it gives sort of a, a plant analogy. And with plants, uh, very, very often the growth is slow. There are some plants that grow fast, and they're called weeds. We don't care much for them. 
No one cares if they grow fast. Like, great, you grew fast. I'm going to cut you down. That's not important. But apple trees, oak trees, fruit trees, anything that is a really great plant, it takes time to grow. There is no quick way to get an apple. If you plant a seedling, it's going to take years for you to get that apple. It's okay, though. Why? Because it, that's the nature of growth. The growth of anything important, anything valuable, it will take time. And not only that, there will always be seasons of adversity. There will be storms. There will be disease that any tree will go through, and that will strengthen the tree. And it's the same thing for us. There is no quick route to righteousness. No quick route to maturity. In our lives, it takes time. And there are some times when, just like the apple tree, where imagine the winter, and the apple tree is thinking, man, this is... Nothing's happening. There's no growth going on. There's no, I'm never going to produce any fruit. We sometimes feel that way. In the very difficult times in our life, we think, man, I, I just don't think God is at work at all. I haven't seen any evidence of it for, for months. I just feel empty. And yet God's word to us this morning is that he is at work. That what he begins, he will bring to completion. And so in all these ways that Paul has here, the love that he wants for us to have, Abundant love, knowledge for God, discernment, all of these good things, signs of maturity, that we are walking in greater purity, that we are blameless, that the things that we're involved in are more and more righteous, even that there's fruit in our life, meaning that, that we're growing on the inside and that in the way that we interact with others, there's a greater blessing there. All of these things, God has promised that they will happen. They don't happen because we sit back and just wait for God to do it. That's the, again, the sort of dynamic between our activity and God's. It's determined by God's power, but we participate in it. And so this is a call for us to continue to grow in our faith. My hope is that as we reflect on this throughout the week, you'll be thinking and saying, yeah, I think there's some ways here that I really do want to grow, and that I think that God is leading me to grow. God, would you help me to see that? Would you help me to walk in greater love for people, to actually care for people more? That's what God is speaking to us. Now, the really encouraging thing is that God doesn't tell us to change into something we're not. He tells us to change and grow into something we already are. Do you know what I mean by that? Every other world religion will, will tell you, look, you're not good enough. You're not, you're not kind enough. You're not generous enough. You're not forgiving enough. So you need to figure that out and here are the rules to do that, and then God will accept you. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you're not good enough. You're not kind enough. You're not generous enough. So I have come to do all those things for you. In the eyes of God, I have lived a life that is perfect. And as you have faith in me, all of, all of my righteousness is given over to you in the eyes of God. All of your sins are wiped away clean. You come to me as you are, and my promise to you is that I will make you new. And it begins with a gift of faith, and it grows in terms of our, our maturity. We live this out in our life. But we, here's, we already are, in God's eyes, perfect and blameless and pure and righteous. So we don't have the weight of performance. We don't have to do these things. We get to do them now. We get to live out this life to faith with the promise that God will carry us through day by day. Paul says with confidence, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so as we live our life, we don't feel the onerous weight of having to do something. We feel the joy that God is with us and that he promises to make it flourish and grow. This is 
This is the road that we walk together uh, in fellowship. This isn't an individual effort. This is why Paul is writing, because he's connected with these other Christians, and he's saying, man, this is my heart for you. And as we begin to do life together as a church, that, that should be our heart as well. That I'm excited for what God is going to do in my life, but, but even more so, man, I, I just can't wait to see what a blessing it will be to others. And to have that mindset and that heart of, of Lord, you are going to work through our relationships to bring us to greater points of, of righteousness and love and, and all these good things. So, so true fellowship comes through gospel work. True flourishing comes through Jesus. We see that in the, in, in the verse, the last verse, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Why? Because it's him who did it in the beginning. It's his forgiveness, his grace. And it's his commitment to be with us, that we are now in Christ. We are a new creation. So as a church, if you're here this morning, as I said, and you're like, I think, I think maybe Tri-Cities for me, what, what do we do with this? What do we do going forward? Well, we're going to do a lot of this. We're going to come together on Sunday morning. Why? Because we want to grow in our faith. We want to hear from God and his word. As we go out into our areas of life, we are going to be remembering, hey, we're actually still the church there. God has given us all a lot of areas of influence for us to be on mission, to be part of the gospel work that God is doing, which means in our schools, in our areas of work, in our sports teams, all of these areas, there are people who have a hope that will only carry them so far. And we have the opportunity to have conversations, to have points of connection where we can say, you know what, that's great, but it's not good enough. God loves you. In fact, he's not asking you to do anything. He has done everything for you. Why don't you come? Why don't you hear? I want to tell you about the hope that I have. In all of that, we are partners together. Not just with each other, but with God and what he wants to do here in our cities. So my hope is that like the Philippians that we are encouraged this morning, that we see that God is at work, not just for us as a church, but as individuals, and that, as always, by the power of God, he will carry us through, and we will have the opportunity to see great works done by his power and by his strength in our lives and in our city. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your love and for your grace. I thank you, God, that we can see clearly that you have always been on mission. Lord God, it was always your intention to, to bring about redemption and hope and healing for the lost world. God, I pray I pray, Lord, that we would see many, many opportunities in our lives to be on mission, to be faithful, to reach out, to be loving and kind with the people around us. And God, I pray also that we would remember that you are with us. Lord, you have promised to be with us. You say clearly here today that you began in us a good work and you will see it through. Lord, I pray especially for those this morning that are feeling discouraged. Lord, that are just, it's difficult to get up. It's difficult to go through the day, Lord, and yet uh, you love them. And so I pray this morning that there would be good work done. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, God, for your word to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.